Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another episode of the VR1 NFT Podcast. I am your host, VR1. Welcome back. This is where we live. I'm starting the day <clears throat> with a lot on my mind as usual. And um, I'm actually eating. I'm in the office. And I'm doing a quick news recap. So I'm going to bring you guys along with me. All right. So we're going to have some clips from the PBS NewsHour, um, Washington Week, the Nightly News, and the Morning News for today, and I'm going to look up Meet the Press as we record. The first 12 minutes were very indicative of the markets. There's a lot of talk about war, and um, I'm going to revisit this uh, with you guys. Music right. On the news hour tonight, tensions rising. The U.S. puts thousands of American troops on heightened alert as the threat of Russian moves into Ukraine grows more serious. Then, volatile markets. Major stock indexes take a steep dive and then regain the day's losses amid ongoing concerns over inflation and interest rate hikes. There's a lot of concern in markets about how fast the Fed is going to go in terms of tightening monetary policy. A lot of concern in markets about how fast the Fed is going to go in terms of tightening monetary policy. And political stakes. Tamara Keith and Amy Walter discuss both parties. Yeah, just the sound for you guys a little bit. Members. And President Biden's pledge to get out and talk to voters more. All that and more on tonight's PBS NewsHour. A lot of good segments here, Major so I wanted to share that with you guys. News hour has been Pardon me, I'm eating, but welcome to the show. This is what we do. It's the little things. Create content daily, baby. No matter what. of what's important. It's why Fidelity dedicated advisors are here to help you create I'm a wealth plan. Some right now. A plan with tax-sensitive investing strategies. Planning focused on tomorrow, while you focus on today. That's the planning effect from Fidelity. Consumer Cellular. Johnson and Johnson. Financial services firm Raymond James. The William and Flora Hewlett Foundation. For more than 50 years, advancing ideas and supporting institutions to promote a better world. At Hewlett.org. The Chan Zuckerberg Initiative, working to build a more healthy, just, and inclusive future for everyone at czi.org. And with the ongoing support of these individuals and institutions. by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting and by contributions to your PBS station from viewers like you. Thank you. It is the most acute crisis between the West and Russia since the end of the Cold War. And today, both sides escalated their military deployments. The U.S. is putting troops on higher alert. NATO says it will reinforce its eastern flank, and Russia is adding to its already 100,000 troops on Ukraine's borders. Nick Schifrin begins our coverage. Moscow calls them drills, but they sound like preparations for war. Russia's defense ministry today released new video of ships and military vehicles on trains deploying toward Ukraine's border. These trucks will travel 3,700 miles from Russia's east. From the west this weekend, American weapons traveled 4,800 miles to land in Kyiv. The U.S. says the additional 200,000 pounds of ammunition and other items inside these crates show the U.S.'s commitment to Ukraine. 
Simultaneously, NATO's Secretary General Jens Stoltenberg, during a press conference with Swedish and Finnish defense ministers, announced increased alliance support for NATO's eastern flank, heading to Southeast Europe, Dutch F-35s, and French troops under NATO command. Heading to the Baltics, F-16s from Denmark, and deploying to the Black Sea, Spanish ships. These deployments are proportionate and in line with our international commitments and they reinforce European security for all of us. Today in a phone briefing, Kremlin spokesman Dmitry Peskov used the announcement to call NATO the aggressor. We can see the statement published by NATO on an enhancement of the contingent in the deployment of forces and hardware to the eastern flank. All this leads to the further escalation of tensions. But Stoltenberg called deployments defensive. The NATO presence is in no way threatening because it is uh, compared to the significant military buildup by Russia in and around Ukraine, uh, a very limited uh, uh, presence. For years, NATO did not deploy to its Eastern European members. But since Russia annexed Crimea in 2014, NATO has deployed battle groups of at least 1,200 soldiers each to Estonia, Latvia, Lithuania, and Poland. And after a telebriefing this weekend by his national security team, President Biden put 8,500 U.S.-based troops on high alert who could deploy quickly to Eastern Europe. Defense officials tell PBS NewsHour those forces could come from bases, including Fort Bragg, Fort Carson, and Fort Campbell, destined to the NATO Response Force, or NRF. Pentagon spokesman John Kirby. In the event of NATO's activation of the NRF or a deteriorating security environment, the United States would be in a position to rapidly deploy additional brigade combat teams, logistics, medical, aviation, intelligence, surveillance, and reconnaissance transportation, and additional capabilities into Europe. At the same time, the U.S. is drawing down its Kiev embassy. All families are required to depart, and non-essential employees can leave if they want. The United Kingdom announced the same. Ukraine called it disappointing. Foreign Ministry spokesman Oleg Nikolenko. We consider this U.S. move as premature and a manifestation of excessive caution. In fact, there have been no cardinal changes in the security situation recently. But the West is convinced the threat to Ukraine's government could be fatal. This weekend, the UK released new intelligence revealing Russia planned regime change and had picked a pro-Russian leader. US officials tell PBS NewsHour the US agrees with the British intelligence, which was released by Foreign Secretary Liz Truss. The reason we put that out into the public domain is we are going to call out every instance of Russia trying to influence democracy, trying to subvert Ukraine, false flag operations and sabotage. Calling out Russian actions, but little is stopping Russia's buildup that surrounds Ukraine. With the PBS see, that's Hour, I see that's Sukhoi. That's what I wanted to mention to you guys. There were 110 civilian casualties during the Ukraine conflict in 2021. In the day's other news, jitters over Ukraine and broader economic worry sent Wall Street into a deep dive before it climbed all the way back. This is where we the Dow Jones in. Industrial Average plunged <clears throat> 1,100 points in the first several hours of trading, but ended up gaining 99 on the day to close at 34,364. The Nasdaq rose 86 points. The S&P 500 added 12. We'll take a closer look at what's fueling the market's fears later in the program. New numbers today indicate the pandemic's Omicron wave may be peaking across the U.S., with the daily average of new cases now below 700,000. But the number of daily deaths is still rising, and hospitals across the South and the West are still overwhelmed. The head of the World Health Organization forecasts today that the emergency phase could end this year, but he also had a warning. It's dangerous to assume that Omicron will be the last variant or that we are in the end game. On the contrary, globally, the conditions are ideal for more variants to emerge. Also today, the U.S. Supreme Court rejected a lawsuit filed against proxy voting in the U.S. House of Representatives. The pandemic-era measure allows members to cast absentee ballots. Republican Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy wanted the court to reject it as unconstitutional. 
The high court agreed today to hear challenges to affirmative action in college admissions for the first time since 2016. Two lawsuits charged that using race and admissions decisions at Harvard University and at the University of North Carolina discriminates against Asian Americans. <clears throat> fucked up. Federal prosecutors in Minneapolis charged today that three former police officers violated George Floyd's civil rights by failing to prevent his murder. In opening statements, they said the men did nothing when fellow officer Derek Chauvin pinned Floyd's <clears throat> neck until he died. Chauvin was convicted of murder last year. The defense argued that Chauvin was a senior officer and that he called all the shots. Hmm. In Iran, the government opened the door today to direct talks with the United States on restoring the 2015 nuclear deal. The foreign minister spoke in Tehran as negotiations with other world powers resumed in Vienna. If we get to a stage where reaching a good deal with strong guarantees necessitates direct talks with the U.S., we will consider this in our agenda to lift sanctions. In response, the U.S. State Department said it remains open to direct meetings with Iranian officials. President Biden has indicated he wants to rejoin the nuclear deal that President Trump abandoned in 2018. Rebels in Yemen, backed by Iran, fired missiles That's into the United move. Arab Emirates today. <clears throat> U.S. and UAE troops <clears throat> intercepted them with Patriot missiles. Some okay. of the Americans had to take cover during the exchange. It was the second such attack in a week. China has made a new show of force near Taiwan, sending 39 warplanes, the most since October. The planes flew over an area near the Pratas Islands, southwest of Taiwan. The Chinese declined to say what their purpose was. This took place as two U.S. Navy aircraft carrier groups sailed in the Ch South China Sea over Beijing's objections. Hmm. Back in this country, judges in Georgia approved a special grand jury to investigate whether former President Trump tried to interfere with the 2020 election results. A district attorney requested the assistance. The special panel will be seated in May, and it will serve up to a year. There is further evidence of the pandemic's toll on American students. Data from 26 states shows high school graduation rates fell in at least 20 of them after the full first full school year disrupted by COVID. That's fucked up. Nonprofit education news agency Chalky <clears throat> did the analysis. That's something for sure that you and know. The world's biggest galactic be observatory has arrived at its destination. One million miles from Earth. Oh, As yeah. depicted in this NASA animation, the James Webb Space Telescope reached its planned orbit around you the You notice sun how they said NASA animation. Animation. The $10 billion okay. telescope will look deeper into space than humanity has ever seen. Yeah, I need you to work Still on that Bluetooth on technology for the home. A volatile ride for the major stock indexes. Tamara Keith and Amy Walter break down the latest political news. We're going to go to, to when they start doing the, 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 you know, the filler for the news. But what I wanted much more. was a, a basic breakdown of what was going on in the market. And, um, you know, I have to load up on what's going on. And again, as I'm surfing the web, I'm like, Man, I need to share this with my listeners. Here we go. Presence in Eastern Europe, and the United States announced today that it is putting 8,500 troops on high alert to deploy to the region. To discuss the details of today's developments, we are joined by two experts. Andrea Kendall Taylor is a former senior intelligence official who focused on Russia and Eurasia. She's now the head of the Transatlantic Security Program at the Center for a New American Security, which is a bipartisan national security and defense policy institute. And Philip Carver has served as an advisor to the Secretary of Defense under the Reagan administration. He's now the president of the Potomac Foundation, a nonprofit, nonpartisan policy research group and we welcome both of you to the news hour andrea kendall taylor <clears throat> excuse me to you first how much of a change in posture is this for the biden administration to be making this announcement about troop okay i'm going to pause this right here because again <clears throat> i want the news with no filter so once you have panelists i know that it's time to move on 
Let's go to Lester Holt and NBC Nightly News. Tonight, more than 8,000 U.S. troops placed on heightened alert in anticipation of a possible Russian invasion of Ukraine. President Biden holding a video conference with NATO allies as he considers deploying forces to deter the Russian threat. Also, the moment late today, the president caught on a hot mic cursing at a Fox News reporter what he said. Also tonight, <laughs> on Wall Street, the Dow touching <clears throat> more than 1,000 points before clawing its way back into the green, what's causing the stock volatility. The new signs Omicron may be in retreat. Infections down 14% in a week. Dr. Fauci on when the wave might finally down 14% in a week. Dr. Fauci on when the wave might finally peak. And the major new lawsuit filed over masks in school. The Supreme Court taking up a potential landmark case. Could the justices overturn affirmative action at colleges? Just in, three firefighters killed in a row house inferno in Baltimore. What we're learning. News tonight of the man suspected of killing an NYPD officer and wounding another. The growing concern of a rising violent crime in America's cities. And the first day to file your taxes, the urgent alert from the IRS and how to get your refund faster. This is NBC Nightly News with Lester. <clears throat> Good evening. Where words have failed to deter, the U.S. and its NATO allies are considering whether a robust display of military firepower in Eastern Europe might discourage a Russian incursion into Ukraine. The Pentagon tonight placing 8,500 troops on heightened alert status. Many of them earmarked to join a NATO response force should the decision to activate it come. Tonight, Russia again saying it has no plans to invade, but its posture, roughly 100,000 troops arrayed at Ukraine's doorstep, may speak otherwise. As a precaution, families of American embassy workers have been told to leave the country amid worries Russia is already planting the seeds of a political takeover. It's where we start tonight with NBC chief foreign correspondent Andrea Mitchell. With fears rising that Russia could invade Ukraine, President Biden tonight considering a major show of force near Russia, putting up to 8,500 U.S. troops on a heightened alert, mostly as part of a NATO response force. Military action by Russia could come at any time. The president from Camp David this weekend, reviewing Pentagon proposals to move thousands of U.S. troops to NATO countries around Ukraine, fly bombers over the region, and send ships to the Black Sea. NATO also putting more troops on standby and sending additional fighter jets and warships. What this is about, though, uh, is reassurance to our NATO allies. This afternoon, the president, after a secure video conference from the Situation Room with European allies, insisting they are united. I had a very, very, very good meeting, total unanimity with all the European leaders. But NATO is divided. Ukraine's closest neighbors pleading for help but Germany stalling on the delivery of German-made artillery to Ukraine. France wanting the European Union, not the U.S., to lead talks with Russia. Russia mm. denies it plans to invade, <clears throat> despite sending more troops and jets to Ukraine's borders. The U.S. now point. ordering embassy families... But this is where our economy is going. This is, that's it. They made a shift, and they're banking on gold versus cryptocurrency. Or Russia. Upsetting gold Ukraine's rush. This is the gold rush right here. Those moves excessively cautious and premature. But U.S. intelligence also warns Russia could justify invading by toppling Ukraine's president and installing a puppet government answering to Moscow. There are a whole series of other actions that they've taken in the past and uh, are preparing to take potentially in Ukraine. And it's important they be put on notice. The U.S. is letting Russia know it could slap new export bans on semiconductors, potentially crippling Russia's strategic industries and military, from mm -hmm. smartphones and tablets to military <clears> jets <throat> and civilian aerospace. Lester. Again, those jets, the Sukhois. I see the Sukhois out there. Now from the White House. Kelly, do we know when the president will make a decision on any troop deployments? Well, officials tell us, Lester, in the coming days, as the White House monitors Putin's Trump build, troop buildup, and the Pentagon says the president is also considering additional U.S. troops in places in Eastern European countries that request help to fortify their defenses. That would be separate from the troops sent to work for NATO. Lester? And Kelly, the president making headlines tonight also about a, a mic, uh, I guess a hot mic moment where he's cursing at a Fox News reporter. <laughs> Let me play that. 
Thank you, guys. Will you take questions on inflation, then? Thank you. Thank you. Do you think inflation is a political liability? It's a great asset. More inflation. So what a stupid well, son of a bitch. From the White House, we have asked about this. Reporters were asking about Ukraine because the president has not responded yet about whether he has Here decided we go again to with deploy the U.S. troops. Here we Clearly go again. That's a critical issue. Four minutes of news, he made one minute of he bullshit. He like when questions are asked about a subject other than the planned event, which in this yeah, case yeah, is not yeah, on. families and the economy. <clears throat> Next. Lester? Kelly O'Donnell at the White House. Thank you. And Bye, Kelly O'Donnell. Set the stock market Thank you. This is what today. we're here for. Down, dropping more than a thousand points, but then look at this—a stunning comeback. Actually, closing up almost a hundred points, but the ride may not be over. Here's Tom. See Costello. that dip tells you everything. Unbelievably, we are up across the board for the three major averages. It was a gut-wrenching roller coaster ride on Wall Street today, with last-minute buyers jumping in to Fuck. pull the market out of a steep nosedive. At its lowest point, the Dow Jones Industrials down more than 1,100 points before climbing back and closing up 99. A 1,200-point swing driving the volatility, concern about a potential Russian invasion of Ukraine the war. and the global the economic war fallout. fuck everything up, well, but they got it under control. earnings are coming in as inflation <clears throat> hits 40-year highs, driving prices higher from the grocery aisles to car lots. The president does not look at the stock market as a means by which to judge the economy. After the S&P 500 index ran up a stunning 27% in 2021, the market has been sliding for much of this month, with the Federal Reserve expected to raise interest rates as much as one percentage point this year to tame inflation. It seems like a lot to happen in a year, but remember, we'll still be below where we were on the federal fund's interest rate before the pandemic started. 56% of Americans are now invested in stocks. So mm -hmm. what should average investors do in a volatile market? Long-term investments in the stock market should be five years or more. So you don't invest the money to build the deck. You don't invest the money to buy a new car. You don't invest the money to generate your income when you retire. So, Tom, the Fed is expected to announce this rate hike plan on Wednesday. How will this play out this year? Three or four quarter point rate hikes this year are expected, depending on whether inflation comes under control. But the so global supply chain problems could actually cause inflation to stay rather stubborn this year, Lester. All right, Tom Costello, thank you. Let's turn to COVID now. While infection rates are now leveling off or dropping in parts of the country, hospitalizations and deaths are still rising. And health officials are warning we are not out of the woods. Miguel Almaguer now with the latest. For a nation on the brink of a COVID catastrophe, tonight clear... Now we're going to pause this because we're not going to continue to, uh, you know, push this narrative. Um, let's start with... Uh, let's see today's current news, and then we'll move on to Biden's first year. We'll finish with that for today's episode. Give me one quick second. Let me cue this up for you guys. Um, what is my reflection? Well, I agree with the same way that the Dow Jones and the stock market reflected that today. There was a dip and then a recovery that was actually 8% above the dip. So the dip was 1,100 points. It came back to 1,200, meaning that it was above 8 to 10%, give and take. And, um, you know, always giving us a room for a buffer. But, um... <clears throat> Regardless of the fact, it is what it is. So the market reflects exactly what's going on, in my personal opinion, because I completely agree with the way that things are manifesting right now. And as a matter of fact, very quickly, give me one quick second. Let me queue up um, today's news that will be coming up. Let's see if we can beat them by these... First by these uh, uh, <clears throat> if we can beat them by by these next 25 minutes, because time is money. Time is money. Time is everything. So let's uh, here we go with this autoplay stuff. I hate this autoplay stuff. But um, this way we can be kind of prepared. So let's go. We're finished with... 
nightly news let's go to the morning broadcast and do a quick recap on what the heck is going on and keep track of time while we do that so here we go So we got good sound. Good morning, I'm Joe Fryer. And I'm Savannah Sellers right now on Morning News Now. Heightened alert. All eyes on Eastern Europe as the world braces for war. See, they're promoting this morning, the war. This is all I see is war, war, war. Standby for possible deployment after the arrival of more Russian forces surrounding Ukraine. This after talks between President Biden and European allies reinforce a united stance against a Russian invasion. There's no reason for this to come to outright conflict. There's no reason for there to be another land war uh, in, in Europe. And, and, it, and that's why we want to continue to pursue a diplomatic path forward. We have team coverage from the White House to Moscow with the latest on the efforts to end the conflict. Wall Street whiplash. Traders there we go. That's what we want to see. After a wild ride for <clears throat> stocks. No. Dowsing a 1,200-point swing after a steep nosedive and then a stunning comeback to end in the green. We'll break down what's behind the drop and the correction, plus what it could tell us about the market moving forward. Uh, exactly what Overcoming I said. Overcoming Omicron, more progress and setbacks in the fight against COVID. The We're here for the market. We want to know where to put our money and how to invest it. In an effort to stop the fast-spreading <clears throat> Omicron strain. Meanwhile, for those who didn't escape Omicron's grasp, a proven form of treatment isn't easy to find and signs of a new normal in the era of COVID. We'll take you inside a bar now doubling as a testing site. Finally, screaming for sanity, a group of stressed out moms coming together to blow off some steam by letting out a loud scream. And it turns hmm. out moms do know best. We'll check in with a professional to find out why sometimes the best kind of therapy is a good old-fashioned scream sesh. I can't imagine that would make Okay, that would make oh, perfect sense. Oh, you don't think it would? No, I do. Oh, I do. Oh, yeah. absolutely, yeah. yeah. I just don't know where in the city you would do that without <laughs> <laughs> someone calling 911. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. We don't yeah. have the space around here. Fucking moron. We'll try to find some. We'll get to that later in the Let's show. Let's go. Morning, more than 8,000 U.S. troops are now on heightened alert with fears rising that Russia could invade Ukraine. So far, no troops have been deployed, but the U.S. and its NATO allies are stepping up their response, hoping to discourage Russia yeah. from one of the things that's caught my eye. Let's go. More to your point, offer of European leaders and by our slate. No. So much might happen if Russia is to make the power plant. Well, a lot of it had to do fucking fast forward this bullshit. That's exactly what we're what we're talking about. Okay, get to the stocks. Get to the stocks. Ukraine to attack. Eastern Ukraine. So, yeah. Uh, that, mm -hmm. That's basically the situation now. All right, now, cool. Honor, so, Carol Lee, thank you so much. Let's go to the money. Now, this morning, investors will be hoping for some calm after Monday's roller coaster day of trading. All major U.S. indexes plunged early in the day yesterday, then mm. rebounded. The Dow Jones had dropped more than a thousand points before things turned around. Here to help us make sense of the latest market jitters is CNBC senior national correspondent Brian Sullivan. Brian, good morning. I mean, it really was a roller coaster. So, walk us through what we saw on Wall Street yesterday. What led to this massive sell off in the stocks? Why yesterday? And then that eventual rebound by the end of the day. How'd that happen? Well, a lot of it had to do with what you all just talked about, which is Russia, Ukraine. There was a lot of geopolitical tension in the world going down, not just because of the strategic importance of Ukraine and so many things, but because Russia is such a massive supplier of power and energy to most of Europe. Germany gets over 35% of its natural gas, oil, and coal, the things that make the power plants work, from Russia. So there's a lot of tension around what might happen if Russia goes in, how will Europe respond, how will we respond the Pentagon, putting 8,500 U.S. troops on deployment, potential for deployment there. So that is one major thing. Also, you've got the Federal Reserve, which is meeting today and tomorrow. They are expected, widely, to raise interest rates multiple times this year to try to cool down inflation. I'm sure you guys have talked about inflation a lot, constantly rising prices. One way to control that is to try to put the brakes on the economy, slow things down just a bit. The Federal Reserve doing that by raising borrowing costs, things like mortgages or credit card rates or car loans. Just, just raise them a little bit, guys, so that they, they slow down. The confusion is how many times the Fed will do that and whether or not they will be able to sort of 
weave that needle, that delicate needle thread through this economy, guys. I say it's a money grab. About what happened in that furious That's all. It's a little short squeeze. That's all it is. Simple shit. Today. Yeah, Don't get discouraged. I just want to make some money. Ukraine prospect of interest rate hikes by the Fed. Basically what they're losing on these low interest loans. Because people are paying their shit on time. 56% is in the market. Oh, it's a good question. I mean, listen, Russia and Ukraine have had problems for a while. In fact, I was in Russia in 2014 when they effectively annexed the Crimean portion of southern Ukraine and still control that today. So this has been going on for some time. And I say that not because it's not huge, but because it should not be new. It's only just ratcheted up mm -hmm. in the last couple of weeks. <clears throat> the Federal Reserve, we've known they're going to do this. I think here's the reality, guys. The market has done fantastic the last number of years. A lot of people made a lot of money. They've been gambling on these beaten up stocks. They've been buying things like Bitcoin and Ether. The market, as many might say, buying Bitcoin frothy. and money Ethereum was cheap. You could borrow money They're for smart. just a couple money of percent Money is cheap. Interest. Bitcoins that, are cheap. Get so the Bitcoin. Cheap money combined with a lot <clears> of speculation. There's been a lot of, dare I say, gambling going on in the market. And in the last couple of weeks, with the nerves on high, some of that gambling has been pulled back. But overall, I think the economy is still very strong and we'll see where this market goes from here. And Brian, quickly before I let you go, what advice would you give to investors right now who just saw what happened yesterday and aren't sure how to handle it? Think don't long listen. term. Yeah, don't listen markets to this go thing. down and that's healthy. Healthy corrections are a part of this market. Markets going up every day are when you need to be worried. It's okay to go down. Don't sell into the panic. Think long term term markets go up 75 percent of the time ryan great advice there good for me to hear myself too thank you very 75 percent some mixed news this morning on the coronavirus pandemic okay and we are continuing to move forward so now let's go to yamisha sindor for washington week and let's talk about biden's first year because um as y'all know i love education baby so let's go with Yamis. It's my baby right here. Biden's President Biden's first year. Nobody is ever organized. Nobody is ever organized. A strategic operation to get as many shots and arms. The president faces organized. A strategic operation to get as many shots and arms. The president faces tough questions at a rare marathon press conference. He promotes his achievements. Some people may call what's happening now a new normal. I call it a job not yet finished. And defends his setbacks. It's one thing if it's a minor incursion. But his messaging on Russia and Ukraine leads to international tension. Meanwhile, the GOP marks the anniversary with pointed criticism. Biden needs to pivot. He's got to get away from um, representing the radical left. He's got to think of how do I help the average American? Plus, the motion is not agreed to. Democrats fail to pass voting rights legislation. Next. This is Washington Week. Corporate funding is provided by... For None of these people that I'm going to endorse. <laughs> you got me with that earlier, suckers. But not again. Our, our sponsors are... Our loved ones, our families, our friends, our peers. Funding is provided by. And, um, you know, the pursuit of happiness. Those are our corporate sponsors <laughs> for today's podcast. And um, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm getting this shit down packed, baby. I got this shit. Come on, come on. From people like myself. Once again, from Washington, moderator Yami Shalcindor. <clears throat> Hi, baby. Good evening and welcome to Washington Week. This week marked one year since President Biden took the oath of office, and he is under escalating pressure. The challenges abound. COVID is surging as the Omicron variant continues to sweep across the country. Inflation is at a 40-year high, and his approval rating is sliding. On Wednesday, President Biden held the longest presidential press conference in history. It was one hour and 51 minutes. He touted his administration's progress in fighting COVID, but he also admitted that more could have been done. 
Should we have done more testing earlier? Yes. But we're doing more now. And he called out Republicans for former President Trump's continued grip on the GOP. Did you ever think that one man out of office could intimidate an entire party where they're unwilling to take any vote contrary to what he thinks should be taken for fear of being defeated in the primary? A day later, in a fiery press conference, Republicans blasted the president. Here's House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy. We got an economy that is damaged. We got cities and streets that are dangerous. We have adversaries that feel emboldened. Joining me tonight to discuss President Biden's tumultuous first year and what's to come, Laura Barone Lopez, White House correspondent for Politico, Carl Hulse, Chief Washington correspondent for The New York Times, and Mike Memoli, White House correspondent for NBC News. Well, thank you all for being here. And of course, we remain remote because we're living through this pandemic. But Laura, I want to start with you. You were in the room at that historic and rare press conference. Talk a little bit about how the president is trying to reset in this moment, especially, of course, as the pandemic continues to dominate everyday Americans' lives. As you mentioned, Yamiche, it was his uh, second solo press conference at the White House uh, since taking office. And compared to the one that he had uh, around March of last year, you know, the president admitted some things that were misjudgments on his part, things that he thought his White House could have done differently, that he could have done differently, including uh, making <laughs> sure that more tests were widely available uh, in Let's talk about money. coronavirus. And, and money, also, money, money, money. He genuinely didn't money. expect uh, Republicans to money, 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 money. agenda as they have so far. Now, some people may be surprised to hear the president say that, considering that during his campaign, he ran uh, saying that he was someone who could create this bridge with Republicans, that he could get Washington working, you know, more no, more like it used to again. Uh, and and a lot of uh, Democratic candidates who ran against him in the primary kept arguing that that, that wouldn't be the case, that, that Washington had changed and what he remembered during the Senate years was not possible. And so you've seen uh, that All frustration right, give me one really quick from second. Biden more and I have more. a segment here by Yahoo Live. I'm gonna, we're going to definitely talk about sort of his surprise. Okay, I don't want to hear panelists. So very quickly, let's see what we got here. Interesting article in Bloomberg. Let's get back to Jared Blickery. Again, another book of panelists. Let's get back to Jared Blickery, who has a final thought for us. And Jared, there's an interesting article in Bloomberg today, which apparently pointed to the VIX and uh, a metric that they you can use with the VIX to signal market bottoms and that we might have actually gotten that metric. But what do you want us to consider after what we've seen this I, I think we need to consider that we are in potentially, not necessarily, but potentially a massive repricing of risk similar to where we found ourselves in February and March of 2020 at the beginning of COVID. This time around, we have a Fed that has a lot more sway. In fact, it's all kind of surrounding the Fed right now, whereas they didn't have that kind of optionality two years ago, except to throw everything in the kitchen sink at it. Here is the VIX. You talked about the VIX. Well, this is a huge reversal, and this could be an early step in the right direction here. Let me just put a one-year chart. We can see we've had many big spikes before. Looks like mm -hmm. this one has actually taken these out. But you go back on a two-year basis and you can see this doesn't even approach the volatility that we saw in the early part of the pandemic. So are we heading back that way? I don't think so, but we need to keep our eyes and ears out uh, because we are seeing a lot of risk on, risk off behavior, more risk off than risk on. Here's today's leaders market. Now, retail had a really nice day off of the Kohl's news. That was a bright sector. So XRT is a retail ETF. That's up 6%, followed by 3% for the home builders. Our components, our ETF fund, that's up over 2.8%. Then you have software, IPOs, internet, regional banks. Uh, we have the socks, that's chip stocks, transports. So we've seen this screen before. We saw it early on in the year, and it looked like this was going to be a dip buying opportunity. That was not 
a dip buying opportunity. In fact, there has been several that have just been slammed and taken out. Even Dr. Marco Kalanovic over at JP Morgan issued a all clear, it's time to buy value, probably at the expense of growth, but even that didn't work just yet. So you want something to buy here? Maybe energy. It's time to start dipping your toes back into that. Um, and if you have some growth stocks on sale that you must buy, like Apple, you're always going to be an Apple. Well, it's on sale now. But I think we need to wait to see what happens with the FOMC on Wednesday. It's just too big of a wild card right now. Anywhere you look right now, it appears to be risk-off sentiment. The NASDAQ is down 12% year-to-date. The S&P 500 could fall below the 200-day moving average today. And the sell-off in Netflix persists after a 24% fall below the 200-day moving average today. And the sell-off in Netflix persists after a 24% plunge on Friday. Let's dive into the market action with Evercore ISI Chief Equity, Derivatives, and Quantitative Strategist Julian Emanuel. Uh, Julian, always good to see you here. What is going on, going on out there in the pre-market? What are you hearing? Well, look, I, I think the first thing we have to do, Brian, is sort of step back and think about how rare 2021 was. In a typical hmm. year, you get at least one, perhaps as much as multiple 10% corrections. And if you look at the S&P, uh, year to date, you're down a little over 7%. Obviously, uh, that looks to build at the opening. Uh, but it, when you think about what we were have on our plate, whether it's the Fed that's clearly talking hawkishly, uh, geopolitical tension that has ratcheted up seemingly quite significantly in the last 72 hours, um, and uh, frankly, uh, reactions to earnings announcements that for the most part have been okay, uh, but the market just not uh, giving any due respect uh, to companies that beat. You put that all together, and it's not a surprise that we're uh, flat-footed and defensive into this meeting on Wednesday, uh, the FOMC, that really is a volatility event in and of itself. Um, and speaking of volatility events, Julian, um, as I mentioned earlier, we are seeing VIX futures come down even while current VIX is quite elevated. And so what does that tell I us? Love what the would women, be a sign to you of um, sort analysts. of selling They're exhaustion or selling peak, or do you think we're not going to get it until after the meeting? Uh, when the market is trading like this, Julie, to try and pinpoint exactly when it's going to come is really a very difficult undertaking, particularly when you look at the last few days. You go back to Thursday, uh, you essentially had almost a 2% rally in the index to be followed by a 2% uh, collapse and then a further 2% collapse the next day. So it's very difficult to gauge this. Um, you know, our inclination would be that if you get any further fear, uh, we're looking at the front, uh, the cash VIX at 35, that's the time where as a patient buyer of dips, which is what investors should be, is where you want to start uh, adding to your positions. Julian, is it really that bad out there uh, to see Netflix down 24% in a session, Roku down 33% year to date? Is the next six to eight months that bad for, for big tech that warrants these, these really large downdrafts in some household name tech stocks? We don't necessarily think it, that it is, but you have to remember is that the valuations of some of these companies became very, very extended, both relative to the last year and relative to the longer term history uh, of these types of names. And now all of a sudden we're in an environment where the Fed's going to be hiking at the short end. In all likelihood, the fact that inflation has been as persistent as it has been is going to keep the long end of yields moving higher. And all of that works uh, against high multiple stocks. Now, uh, do all of these stocks uh, tend to be grouped together? They do at the moment. But what, what we learned last week was that if you miss on growth expectations in an economy where we think you could get GDP growth north of 4%, there will be absolutely no mercy whatsoever for your stock. And I think that's uh, what we saw when uh, the fangs started reporting at the end of last week. Are we watching a, a bubble burst in big cap tech? I don't think so. Uh, it's This is not the same as 2000, simply because the valuations were not quite as extended uh, in, in any uh, shape or form, particularly 
in the leaders. What, what we've seen actually in a lot of ways, though, is the market rationally discounting uh, profitless tech. Uh, th those stocks have been in a bear market for almost an entire year now. Um, the question is, is that going to uh, stabilize at some point? And it, rightly so, given where the Fed is on, in terms of monetary policy, what we've seen in the last few weeks is the spillover into names that we know are going to have good earnings when they report this week. I agree. It's just that the I price agree. reactions have been uh, you know, agree. lacking, to say the least. Yeah, I think that's that's definitely an understatement. So, Julian, you, you mentioned people should be coming in. I, I think the phrase you used is they should be cautiously buying on the dips. Um, where should they be buying? Should they buy the market overall? Should they be buying tech? Where should people be, be nibbling right now? So, so we think that the environment has changed, and part of the change in the environment has caused this dislocation, the undue pressure on tech. If you think of the combination of an above-trend earnings, uh, above-trend economic growth, higher interest rates, and persistently high inflation, which again is obviously feeding into where the Fed stance is moving, all of those militate for having a value bias financials, uh, industrials, we also like healthcare, energy has obviously been a good sector, you have to be prepared for volatility in a sector that volatile, but the, the value type stocks that really have not worked for almost a decade, to be frank, um, those are where we think the opportunities are gonna lie in the year ahead. Today's world, military. Well, Julian, there's another thing that I don't think anybody considers to be value, perhaps, but it's fallen more than almost anything else. I'm talking about crypto, of course. Um, and so I wonder what your thinking is on that asset class right now because of the heavy selling that we've seen. And I think amongst the things that are different in this crypto cycle is the sort of institutional um, interest in it. And so I don't know how that changes the dynamics on the way down and then maybe eventually on the way up. So for us, if you go back, uh, we have been fans of crypto. You have to uh, to own it, and particularly when you've had this kind of a pullback, you have to believe in the use case. You have to believe in the asset diversification case. I think the use case uh, with the proliferation of NFTs and more transactiveness uh, in general is starting to prove itself. This is what we here for. You see how deep we have to time. dig? We the market is still so fucking far. typical for crypto. And they think they know 50 shit. 50% pullbacks uh, prior to the next major leg of the rally. So I get When you listen to my podcast, this is to, uh, why you come here because uh, almost a year at this, this point is, is that you've Range between uh, call it twenty eight thousand news low free Dixie to, <laughs> or uh, Dixie you know, free uh, news sixty five thousand on the high. Our view is is that as the capital markets digest uh, more hostile Fed and as uh, uh, the winners and the losers in crypto begin to sort themselves out as they should in a rational market, as we've seen happen to profitless tech. Uh, over the last number Bitcoin of months. Bitcoin is a rational You're investment. Going to have a period That's all of, it is. Uh, it's the little fucking, uh, that, you know, constraint that the, the Federal Reserve put on the market. Later in the year, or perhaps 2023, we think you start the next leg higher based on the use case for crypto. All right. So, very quick, before we continue, let's, um, let's go back to Yahoo Finance, see what we got over here. We want to bring into the stream to talk about what the next step is for a lot of investors. Jim Paulson, the, uh, the Lufold Group Chief Investment Strategist. It's good to have you here, Jim. And you, you've pointed out that you think a lot of the emotional selling is probably over. Quote, the market, uh, again, has both buyers and sellers. I want to ask you, who's got the, the power in this market? Is it the retail investors or is it more of the larger houses and institutional investors? Simply, I ask that because... I've heard the term today, the revenge of the retail investor, what we saw yesterday. Well, I think it's hard to know for sure, Adam, who's really in control. I still think that uh, overall of it, that institutions probably swing a little more power than the retail community does. Although, particularly on emotional sell-offs like we've had, a lot of times uh, retailers are a big part of that. 
And, um, I, you know, I, I, I guess I, I think that what ultimately when a correction or a bear market for that matter does end, it's not generally buyers which bring it back. It's, it's most often just people, people that wanted to sell are done selling and they're all prepared for worse. And then once the selling suspends, it only takes marginal buyers, very small buyers for that matter, that can move it quite a bit when all the sell side is done. And that's often how these crises sort of emotional crises end is more about a lack of selling of the suspension of selling as opposed to a bunch of new buyers coming to the market. Jim, this is Emily here. What do you think was the catalyst for this emotional selling? Because many of the factors that we've been talking about, including Fed rate hikes and tightening inflation and slowing earnings growth, have been known or at least expected for weeks, if not months now. Yeah, I think that's a good question, Emily. I think that um, I really think that the biggest catalyst for uh, this correction is just that it was long overdue. <laughs> and it, whenever a correction happens, we'll all have a, a ton of explanations for why. Whatever the things are of the day, we'll throw that in the pot, and that's why it went down. But I think at some point, um, market corrections just happen because they're overdue. You know, we, we typically, I think since 1952, we've had 25 corrections in 10 bear markets. Uh, you know, it's not uncommon at all to have at least one a year. And um, uh, so at some point, we were long overdue from the start of this uh, bull market, at least in the S&P 500, to get one. And then, of course, there's always the reasons why. The Fed, uh, the Fed's going to tighten. We've got inflation. We've got rising yields. Omicron slowing growth. All good reasons. But in reality, I think it would have found, this correction would have found itself with whatever the reasons were of the day. So okay, it, I, I disagree, but, you know, moving on, uh, <laughs> we're going to thank you guys once again for, for tuning in. We greatly appreciate your time. Um, tune right back in. Of course, we got more. We're going to continue to divulge into the markets. So I want to thank you once again for logging on to the VR1 NFT podcast. I'm your host, VR1. May you have a beautiful day today. May you conquer everything in your path. And may everything that you touch turn into solid gold. Always know that you are special and unique and one of a kind. Okay? Always dream big because dreams come true. It happened to me. And I know for a fact it's going to happen to you. Let's ride out. We'll be right back. Tune right back in, okay?